Hello, and welcome to another episode of Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to navigate the workplace, business, and your career with a little more ease and a lot less angst. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck, and today we are joined by a dear friend of mine who I met during my own coaching journey, Jennifer Mitchell. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Jennifer Mitchell is a former administrator in higher education. She's currently chief of staff for a boutique consulting firm. And in 2022, how I met her, she launched Fire Rising Integrative Coaching. She's a certified executive and career coach, and she guides clients to achieving career and personal success by combining Western and Eastern methods for mind, body, spirit, and career support. That sounds awesome. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's great. Jen and I have spent hours and hours and hours talking. And there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to have her on the podcast, not least of which is she's incredibly insightful. And she's been through a lot in her own journey. And so I think that would be a great place to kick off. Jen, do you mind taking us through your career path and how you've landed where you are today? Yeah, so I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I started my career path as an 18-year-old who they asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, an independently wealthy housewife. (laughs) That is not what led me to here because I didn't become that. I became the person who had the non-traditional career path. So I fell in love pretty quickly and started a family, went to school, and I was the person who was working two to three jobs and going to school at the same time. I finished my bachelor's and my master's degree while raising young children. And now, thankfully, they're a little bit older. And so it all led me to here. And along the way, I, gr- I learned some great lessons about being a working mom, being an individual, and how to be my best self and learn who my best self is. Well. What struck me around when we first met each other is I learned that we're not too far apart in age. We are not. And you have three grown children. I do. I do. And you are not having three grown children at this time. No, I have I have small children. So, you know, I, I, I kind of want to start there. You just talked about juggling higher education while raising small kids at a very young age. Yes. How did you manage to do that? You know, I didn't think about it. I just thought to myself that others do it. I had an amazing example in my paternal grandmother and then the other women in my family. And I had an amazing support group of women who were just achieving their goals. And everyone along the way who helped my path just said, you can do more. Go get your bachelor's, go get your master's. Don't ever settle for what anybody says, you know, is your path in life or who you are. And so I just embraced that and just kept going. And I would work all day or go to school and then come home and spend quality time with my kids. Along the way, I learned what is most important for my family, how to show up well for my family and how to take care of us and our health. What would you say those things are? What I learned when my kids were young was really spending time with them every single day in small ways and and creating memories with them, whether it was them playing on the ground and playing memory games when they were really little while I was doing homework and 
taking them to swim lessons and taking my homework to, to swim lessons and sitting on the sidelines learning Arabic as as I'm cheering them on. So showing up for them in so many different ways. I'm fortunate to have the most supportive partner in the world who did a lot of our load when it came to just making sure that he was there with them every single day and that I could come in and just be the mom. And I really prioritized what it looked like for us to have the family unit that we wanted and how to be healthy, whether that meant meal planning and prepping food or having pressure valve, which I'll talk about a little bit later, having pressure valve food or just being really present. And what I learned along the way is that my kids really saw that model that my husband and I created. And it it helped them to achieve their own individual goals to say, we saw our parents sitting at the table studying together and then going to work. So of course we can study and, and really achieve what we want to achieve. So in a way you were modeling that anything is possible. Exactly. I saw it modeled before. And so I just kept that model going. Well, and that's so applicable in so many different ways. I feel like almost every conversation I have leads somewhat to this idea of leading by example. And I know it's something that comes up in all the parenting books about how to be a successful parent, where it is model the behaviors you want to see. I was just watching something on Instagram the other night saying, you can't force the kid to say please and thank you. You just have to say please and thank you. And they're going to catch on. Yeah, I, I was watching this great show last night and this woman was saying to her fiance that she's scared to have kids. She doesn't know if she can do it. And he said, show up love them and do your best. And you're going to learn along the way. And I feel like that is the secret, the key to parenthood, really. Yeah. But you know, what's striking me about your situation too, is you've had a support system who was pushing you along the way. You had a very supportive partner as well. And you really prioritized being present and being thoughtful in your planning. Absolutely. My husband would say that our job in our kids' formative year were to be the parents. That was number one priority for us. And so every job that I took, every class that I took, every extracurricular that we signed them up for was with the intention of what, how can we treat parenting and maintain our relationship? Like that's our primary job and everything else has to fit around our life. And Others would say, oh my gosh, I can't do that because I need to survive or I need to take this job. And I'd push back and say, yes, you can. It's just really having a lot of faith in yourself to say, I'm going to find the thing that is best for us. Yeah. And in prioritizing all of that, how do you think that ultimately affected your career journey? Yeah, I think it it really created this career for me that I learned early on was about transferable skills mm. and understanding when a company is right for me, when a role is right for me, when I've done my best work and when I've outgrown it, and then how to tell my story and to continue to sell and market myself and so that I'm always landing the next job. So although I couldn't have seen 10 years ago that I'd be where I am right now, five years ago, I said, six years ago, I said, I want to be an executive coach. And I said that in every single conversation that I had with people when they talked about my future, what am I working on? I said, executive coach. And then in 2022, when I stepped away from my previous job and I said, okay, let me stop and think about where I want to go next. I said, okay, well, this is the time to be an executive coach. So to line up my next career moves, it was really like, 
I'm going to do this one thing, which is executive coaching in addition to anything else, any other jobs. And it has to be in conjunction and support. So it started with these transferable skills that I'm always learning. I'm always growing and moving on to the next role, but that I'm also leading to a place that I can't even see because it's just abundant with opportunities. That's so well said, first of all. And in a way, it almost seems like your family circumstances pushed you to have to get very clear on your value system and what would work for you and what wouldn't work for you very quickly and at a, at a fairly young age. Absolutely. One of my children said, mom, do you ever re regret having kids so young? And I said, no, that was my greatest motivation. That was my greatest joy is to have kids young enough so that we can all be in, in it together and I can be the mom rather than be the friend, but I can be the mom. And then I'm always growing because I want to provide for all of us and I want us to have opportunities. And that's an incredible perspective because I know so many people and I'm sure you know so many people too, who say, oh, well, I can't get married yet because I need to have X, Y, and Z in order, or I can't have kids yet because I need to have X, Y, and Z in order. And you're actually saying the opposite. You're saying that that's what ultimately fueled you. It's what fueled me. And I saw this, this wonderful woman spoke last year and she talked about whether you should have kids earlier or younger. And I say, whenever the opportunity, whenever the partner, whenever the life circumstance comes that you are ready to make your family, it's going to happen and, and really go in with the joy of seeing that. So as you were talking through a few things, you mentioned understanding whether or not a job was the right fit for you. You also talked through understanding whether or not you had outgrown a job. Yes. And then you brought up this idea of transferable skills, which I love. So how did you know whether or not a job was the right fit? Well, you know what? When you're working in a company, most people put their head down and they just do the best work for the company. And their number one priority is how am I going to show up so that they continue to keep me? And the fear of wanting to be the best employee, because what happens if they don't want me, is something that drives many people. Whereas for me, it was, how am I being ultimately responsible towards the family at home who needs me to have this job? And knowing for me that storytelling is so important to me, being the author of my own story, being the person who just makes decisions for myself becomes my first priority as and then working really well is my second priority. So then it becomes, is this right for me? I have periodic check-ins with myself. Is this right for me? Is there something in the company that I see that isn't a good fit for me at this moment? Is there other opportunities somewhere? Is this salary meeting my need? Is there growth potential? And just determining along the way, Am I honest with myself so that I don't get stuck? And the difference, I think, between millennials and our generation is we see opportunity to continue to grow and to continue to further ourselves, not necessarily within one company. I am still a millennial. I'm an elder millennial, but I do make the cut. That is where you have me be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an elder millennial. Well. You're an elder millennial. Fair, fair. I love that you just brought up being the author of your own story. And it's ironic somewhat because I tend to have client conversations weekly that have different themes. And for whatever reason, the same theme comes up in every conversation that week. And this week, 
it's all been about being a person of authority and being matter of fact. And what you just talked about was not only being clear on your needs, but also being very matter of fact about them. Does it work? Does it not work? Is it right? Is it not right? Are you good at it? Are you not good at it? And it just is what it is. It's a matter of fact. It's a, ma- it's a matter of removing the emotion from it. You mentioned the word fear, right? There's so much that goes into fear. Fear of, you know, your ego getting let down. Fear of underperforming. Fear of being fired. Yada, 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 yada. Fear of judgment, right? What you're talking about is just saying, this is what I need. This is what I'm getting. Let's go to decision node, yes or no. Exactly. It is determining what is the best yes for myself, what is the best no for myself, and being kind to myself and then being kind to the company of knowing that there's always younger people. There's always people who are hungry and want the position. And if you're not in the right role for yourself at the moment, there's going to be someone who's going to be so excited to get into that role. So you're opening the door for the next person to come in. And I always try to leave a place better than I found it. So let me open that door for them while opening a door for myself. So with that in mind, how do you know whether or not you've outgrown an organization? Yeah, how about that? So I think it's a little kind of click that happens in my mind. And when we when I talk to other people, we all have this moment where our supervisor or the company says something or does something that just says, I don't really align with that anymore, or I want something different. And when we are honest with ourselves and when we sit down with ourselves and say, I want something different then that's when we know we've outgrown it. What, what does that look like? Can you give me an example? Yeah, I think for me, and I'll give you a great example. So I've worked in higher education for several years of my career. And at one point I stepped away from higher education and I went and worked for a smaller company, a much smaller company, but it allowed me to be 10 minutes away from home rather than an hour and a half commute in the morning, an hour and a half at night. It allowed me to be present with my kids. It allowed me to be work four days a week and then have Fridays off and have a three-day weekend. But if I had stayed in my previous position, I would not have had that opportunity. So that gave me two years to really be home with my family. And it came from conversations with my husband, with my kids, sitting down, knowing how much I was putting myself out and knowing what I was getting back in and saying, okay, I need to pause. I need to do something different. And this is not stepping back. This is not putting myself backwards. It's putting myself forward, but in a way that is most true and honest to myself and my own needs. There's an interesting distinction because I, I know a lot of people I talk to, myself included, have gone through periods of time where they see the writing on the wall at an organization, even they, they know the job isn't right for them. They know that the organization's going in a direction they don't necessarily want to go in and yet they stay. What would you say to those people in terms of making a decision about that inflection point? Yeah, that is probably the number one thing that I coach on in my executive coaching and career coaching business. It's the people who are in a role for several years and have little small annoyances that build up or little small inklings of this isn't exactly right for me, but feel one, like they owe the company something or two, like there's not anything else out there that will meet their needs. And what I say is we are unlimited. 
I tell myself I'm unlimited. So then from that perspective, what is out there for me is unlimited. And to overcome the fear, I work with people and really tease out exactly what it is that we need, what exactly it is, the steps and planning an exit strategy. For some people that I coach, that exit strategy is one month. Okay, done. For others, it's one year. Okay, so one year from now, you'd like to be in a different position. Then how do we cut it you there? Or someone else, it's five years. So in five years, I don't want to be in this role. Or I want to be in this company, but not in this role. I want to be in a different company. I want to be doing something completely different. So in five years, what are the steps that you're taking to line yourself up? So then you can make that move to your next role. And it's it's really overcoming the fear of saying, I can't with I am unlimited. And it sounds like it's taking the strategic plan into a very tactical plan also. It is. It is. It's, that's the safety that I create. I call myself a career coach and a way shower, right? So as a way shower, I've done this. I've done this scary. I've walked in the, in the darkness of not knowing what comes next. And I can say to people, it's okay. It's okay. Others have done this. I have done this. And I've done it so many times that it is a multi-step process where someone else may not see that it's a multi-step process, that it's tactile and just see the big looming picture of what comes next. I can say, no, it's okay. Let me hold your hand. We're going to do this. We're going to create these action steps little by little until you feel so confident in moving to your next step. And that's a great segue because one of the reasons why we thought it would be great for you to join the podcast is to talk about this concept of burnout. And in my personal opinion, burnout is a word that has been co-opted. And I think in a lot of ways, the real meaning of what true burnout is has been lessened somewhat just to correspond to stress, right? Which life has ups and downs. There's stress, no matter which way you look. I would love to hear a little bit about your personal journey because it's something that struck me through our friendship. And it, in a lot of ways, it's really led you toward the path and the direction that you're going in now. It truly has. And just thinking about burnout, I said, what is it? And it is different than stress. The World Health Organization classifies burnout as a medical diagnosis on the international classification of diseases. That means it's something that's very serious. It's trapped. It's something more than just stress. And it's they, the World Health Organization classifies it as four symptoms, which are feelings of energy depletion, exhaustion, and fatigue. How easy is that for us to ignore it? We just say, I'm more tired without recognizing that I'm more tired many, many days, many, many months, many, many years. They also say increased mental distance from your job. Quiet quitting is like the catchphrase of 2022 and 2023. Well, that's mental, increased mental distance. So that's saying before quiet quitting happens, burnout happens. And then feelings of negativity or cynicism related to your job. How many times have we worked with people who have just like checked out and they're like, they're the person that we don't want to be in a meeting with. Mm -hmm. And then the final is reduced professional efficacy. And for me, it's really important to know when I've outgrown a job, when I start to display any of those symptoms, because I want my work to really stand strong with my work ethic. 
And so I recognized burnout in me when it was just so many years of churn, so many years of thinking next month, it'll be better. Or wow, this was such a busy year. And then that just happened over and over again. And I really started to see it in 2016. Like from this period from 2016 to 2019 was just a constant. Every month was busier. Every week was running. You know, I, I had kids that were going from place to place and I was working a really complicated job and working really hard. And then I'd come home and I make a really good dinner because that's what moms are supposed to do. We're supposed to, to be as natural as possible with our food. We're supposed to sit down at the dinner table with our family and talk to them so we can prevent them from having anything that we don't want them to have as kids and so that they have that foundation. So I was trying to do it all. And for me, what I see, what I saw in burnout and how it got to the point of burnout was continually adding and trying to be perfect and trying to be perfect in everything that I was doing. Mm. And it's so easy because it started with the word sure. So many times we're asked if we can do something, we go sure. And so then we add something to our plate and then we pile it on with more shores. Sure, I can do that. Sure, I can help you. Sure, I can go here. Sure, I can take on this responsibility. Sure, someone's left the job and I can take over their workload. until. We don't see that all of our shores have added up to overcapacity for us. And I started to see that I was burnt out and thinking, okay, if I do something different, then it will all change. And then the pandemic happened. And I went from a six-hour day commute, which people think is crazy. But for me, it was just adding on an hour to what I was already doing. Wait, six hours a day? Six hours a day, three hours each way. Whoa, whoa. where were you commuting to that was three hours away? I was commuting from Pennsylvania to Washington, D.C. And so I'd, ha- I'd take drive to the train, take the train, I'd work on the train, and then I'd get on the local subway, and then I'd walk a mile to my office. By the time that I'd walk in my office, I'd, I'd have a full day, turn around and do it all the way on the way back home, and then I'd come home and be mom and be wife. What were your hours? Like, when would you leave? So I would leave my house a little bit before six, and I'd walk in the door about... Um, 13 hours later, a little bit before seven. And I went from this crazy commute of six hours a day to then we were working from home for the pandemic. And guess what? Nothing really changed. I was working 12 hour day, days. My phone would start ringing at 7 a.m. And it really wouldn't stop until 7 p.m. if I was lucky, 9 p.m. some days. And just doing that from home for two years, then said to me, okay, we're fully in burnout. There is no recovery unless I make some drastic life changes. First of all, there's so much in there I did not know about you, (laughs) (laughs) which goes to show you, but a six hour commute every day, every day, that's draining in and of itself. But here's the thing. So many people were doing it. Yeah. People who work for the government, who were doing this for 15, 20 years and had become lifelong friends on the train and off the train because this is what they did. So when you're surrounded by other people who are also doing this, it's normalized. It's normalized. Saying, you know, this. Is, do you want to do something different? That's such a good point. When something is around you and when people accept a certain behavior around you, it becomes normalized. So you think it's just the status quo. And that's what leads to burnout. When others are doing this together and there's a group of you and you're just at this frantic pace or doing this hard work together, then the stress 
is what we think it is. We call it stress. Oh, yes, I'm stressed. Oh, let's have lunch together because we're so stressed and talk about it. But then so much of that becomes a long-term burnout period, which is affecting our bodies. So when you actually realized that you were burnt out, how did that manifest? In my health. In my health, there were so many things that were happening in my health with headaches and, and I really started to feel physical symptoms that really manifest itself through the burnout. And I had to start going to the doctor and saying, okay, I need to take care of myself. So if I'm taking care of myself, then what does that look like? And when I say to people, this is how you start recovering burnout, I always say, start with going to your doctor. Go to your doctor, find out what the state of your health is, and then learn how to sleep well. Set yourself up for good sleep. Well, and I'll, I'll say this. We don't need to get into this. I happen to know this, but just to underscore the importance of it is, you know, you say headaches, but it manifested in a lot of other ways. We don't need to get into what those are because that's very personal, but it really did have an impact on your physical well-being. My physical well-being became chronic management of chronic illnesses. And I talked to other people at work or friends or people that I'd meet through classes and things. And more people started to have these chronic illnesses because of burnout. And people started to have headaches and eye strain and things that we couldn't, we didn't have to have if we were outside in our gardens, for example. Yeah. So- what did you start doing to pull yourself out of that hole? Yeah. So like I said, I started with going to my doctors and finding a good allergist, finding a good primary care doctor and finding really supportive, good practitioners who would listen to me and who would help me to diagnose what was going on. And then I would figure out what is next. So getting really good vitamin regimen going um, so that I'm caring for my health on a daily basis looking at what I was eating. Is there anything that I can do differently in how I was eating and making slow changes, not just instantly going cold turkey on the food that I love, but, but slowly changing how I ate, how I took vitamins, sleeping, sleeping became such a priority to me that I slept on the train for 30 minutes and having a daily meditation that just led from meditation to good sleep. During the pandemic, I invested in good quality sheets, a new bed, you know, making my room a place where I know I'm going there and I'm relaxing so that it became something that I look forward to at the end of the day. And those really small incremental changes really kicked off how I saw myself, what I considered self-care. You know, we talk about self-care as if, okay, go to the spa and take a bath or go do a sport, but there's so much more. There's so many small ways that we can take care of ourselves that can lead to recovery from burnout. What have you found are the most effective ways? Uh, I hate to say meditation because everybody says meditation, but really sitting quietly with myself. So one thing that I found was really important to me is creating time for myself to think. I'm a deep thinker. I like to think before I act. I like to be intentional. I like to read books. I like to journal about books. And so setting aside time once a month where I just call a think day. I have some time to just think, to plan, to meal prep, to have slow conversations with my family. So that was really the thing that I started initially, probably in 2015, of let's just set aside one day a month and a busy schedule to just allow myself to think. And then 
create margin, this idea that we can create margin in our days and our weeks where we're just not doing, not being, allowing ourselves to produce our best work and to produce our best self by slowing down a little bit. That slowing down, that thinking, that margin for me was so pivotal in determining what my life was going to look like from that moment that I realized that I was burnt out. I was talking to a client last night and at the end of the session, I said, what are your major takeaways from today? And he said that sometimes you have to slow down to speed up. And that reminds me so much about what you're saying right now. And this concept of having time to think, I know somebody who I used to work with him. He had brainstorm time every day on his calendar where he would just sit and think. And I remember being like, what are you doing? Like that is so unproductive and inefficient and brainstorming time. Meanwhile, he started a company and it's doing phenomenally well because he had a fabulous idea during brainstorming time one day. Right. Exactly. And I've seen people that I've worked with schedule daily walks and they just go quietly walk during the day or a run. I work with so many runners in my current company that they, if there is no solution to a current problem, they just go, I'm running. I'll see you in an hour or two. And then they come back and they come back refreshed and they've thought, or they've had time to not think. And uh, the problem that they didn't have a solution for before became a problem that was manageable. Yeah. That would never be me. I would never be a runner. I'd happy. I'm happy to be a walker, but I would never be a runner. Neither would I. I love to walk. (laughs) Well, I, I, um, I'm trying to think where I heard this, but you know, I, I like history and, you know, every so often I'm an Anglophile, so I love everything British. So I watch all the old, you know, TV shows that take place in Victorian and Edwardian England. But, you know, the great thinkers during that time period, they would go for walks. That's what they did. They had walking time. Right. And it really is amazing. And there's something really profound in thinking about slowing down to speed up. Not to mention in our conversations, you've also mentioned to me that being burnt out and having severe physical symptoms kind of led you down this path of exploring Eastern solutions too. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. It's so funny because the conversations that I had with you and others really led me to this idea of we consider capitalism and corporate America is the gold standard. And if we show up in our blazers and our suits and we perform and we get the promotion and the great performance execution, then we say, okay, I've made it. Or we say, have I made it yet? And I really am the anti of that. And it's so funny because I work for a wonderful company that strives for work-life balance and yet Everybody always wants to do better and always wants to work better, right? And so I slow down to think and think, where am I my best? And where am I my best is really combining the Eastern and Western philosophies. So in 2020, I got certified as a Reiki to practitioner. And oh, no, you have to do some distance Reiki on me. I'm going to make you do that. <laughs> I definitely will. And then that led me to Jinshin Jitsu, which is an ancient technique and art for healing oneself using the body and using light touch. And really, I started to 
just dive deeper and deeper into these things that are aware and in other cultures or that older generations might be aware of, but we have lost along the way. And I also study herbalism. At the same time I was doing executive coaching, talk about burnout. I was also doing herbalism certification because I had always wanted to, to learn about our herbs. And so my practice has really started to be in what knowledge is out there or has been out there that we've lost along the way in the striving, in the doing, in the being. I love that. I always say that things that have stood the test of time, there's a reason they've stood the test of time. Things wouldn't exactly. stick around like that unless they actually worked or there was something to them. Exactly. And my company is called Integrative for a reason, which is if you come to me and you say, I want to get ahead of my career or I want to make career changes, then let's do that. Let's talk about what it looks like for your career. But if you also have anxiety or depression or a lot of stress or symptoms of burnout, then I've done all the research. I've done so many readings and taking classes so that I can help you and say, here's a two minute technique that you can do every day that will help you through self-massage for your lymph system. All right. So I'm going to challenge you then. What's one technique that you could share that someone that you could help someone with stress? I got you. On Instagram, there is a lovely woman called Amanda Nova. And she has her Instagram handle is Amanda Nova Wellness. And I saw this great video last week where she just picked a spot on your collarbone and she massaged it for two minutes. She said, massage it for two minutes on each side once a day. So I started doing that and I wake up, my dark circles under my eyes are gone. And immediately after doing that, I'm less stressed. You know, I thought, okay, I'll pour myself a drink and that'll help me to calm down. I did the, the two minute on each side massaging of my collarbone that Amanda taught me. I didn't need the drink. Wow. All right. I'm going to look into that. <laughs> Definitely do. Well, another thing you and I have spoken about in the past is woo-woo people in corporate clothing. And what we mean by that is this idea of Eastern medicine, Eastern philosophy, um, alternative healing methods. There are a lot of people out there who are accepting of it and feel like they can't really show the fact that they're accepting of it in a corporate environment because... It, it is in status quo. And I certainly fall under that camp. I know you fall under that camp. I've worked with people at very big financial institutions who fall under that camp. And it leads me to this question of people having to hide who they are, which I would only imagine contributes to the stress and contributes to the, you know, burnout. I use that in quotes. Um, but as you, as you get down the line. Absolutely. And when I talk about being the author of your own story, the first step is to be authentic. And I love to help people to discover who they are authentically and have the confidence to show up that way and to show up more than just the person who attends meetings or gets the work done and, and relate to each other as humans. Yeah. So I, I love being the woo-woo person in the corporate clothing, because that means I'm interacting with my peers. I'm interacting with everybody that, that I meet as humans. And the beautiful thing about executive coaching is that there are all different types of executive coaches. There are people who are so strict and so by the book that 
when they find a client who is so strict and by the book, they're the perfect match. Yeah. And great breakthroughs can happen and there's great transformation. Whereas there's, there's other people, the people we call the woo in, in corporate clothing who want to be seen, who want to go a little bit deeper, who want to learn how to be authentic and be the author of their own story at work and at home and to have great fun and conversations with their coaches that are talking about what they've learned or like what we just talked about, things that they can do. And it's really being seen. And as a coach, seeing that person in front of me who is more than a title on a nameplate or a business card. Yeah. People want to be seen, heard and understood. And that ties very elegantly back to what we were talking about earlier, which is there's a right fit for everyone. It could be a job. It could be a coach. It could be a partner. It could be anything. But it's about, does it work for both people on both ends of the table? So, Jen, I want to rapid fire two questions to you. Go for it. If there's someone listening who thinks they're on the verge of burnout, real burnout, their health is really starting to take a toll. What advice would you give them? Go to your doctor. Don't put it off. See your symptoms. Track your symptoms. Go to your doctor and have a conversation about what you're experiencing. And if your doctor is not listening or giving you support, find a new doctor. And then talk to someone else. Talk to a coach or someone like me who can say, here is additional support supplementary to, to modern Western medication. I think we ignore the need to go to our doctor and to take care of our underlying health issues so much that burnout leads to so many more serious illnesses. Yeah. If the foundation isn't steady, the building isn't going to stay put. Exactly. All right. Question two, take this however you will. What do you know now that you wish you knew back then? That I am unlimited. That I don't have to have imposter syndrome when I'm younger because I am unlimited. What does unlimited mean? That means that I am not hindered by anybody else's opinion of me, by what I know now, what I don't know, that I, can, I have unlimited potential to achieve whatever I want to achieve and to just be great right now and to love myself and love others. If we love ourselves first and we take care of ourselves first, then we give our best to others. And it's so hard to do. It's so hard to do because we put everyone else first. That's so hard to do. Well, Jen, this has been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. And as always, thank you to our listeners for joining us on another episode of Worked Up. Look out for new episodes on Tuesdays. As always, we have great guests joining us. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave reviews and connect with us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting on our website, www.jacquelinebeckconsulting.com or email us at info at jacquelinebeckconsulting.com. That's Jacqueline, J-A-C-L-Y-N, Beck, B-E-C-K. See you next time.